You're listening to online media from Glendale Christian Church. For more information, visit us at glendalecc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at glendalecky. Hey, it's time for Kids Church, so if you're fifth grade and under, you are dismissed. I know Miss Beth has got great things planned for you guys this morning. Hey, thanks for being here this morning, and welcome to our online group as well. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to, to like and share our video and so that those around in, in your friends list can, can worship with us as well. Um, but really, I, I appreciate you being here. I had a great week last week. I was able to go to Burksville, Kentucky, uh, and preach revival down there for them. Uh, that really was the, my first full-time ministry uh, position was with that church. I was a youth minister there. They hired me when I was 20 years old. Um, so you can question maybe some of their, their decision-making. But uh, we, had, we had a great time. It was good to see some old friendly faces, some old faces, and some maybe not so friendly faces as well. But uh, I had a, had a great week there. It was good to just kind of reminisce and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I, I did get to watch a little bit of our service live because they're on Central Time. And so while I was, I was waiting for church to start down there, I was able to tune in. For, for our service a little bit, and then a little later this week, I got to go back and listen to Bobby's message, and I really appreciate what he had to say last week. It, it was, it's Really, it's been a reminder to me all week um, about my faithfulness to, to God and, and his point, if we, he will, uh, and, that, and that was such a, a poignant point for, for us to as we got started with this series in Daniel, and so I appreciate him uh, getting us started in this series, and if you haven't had a chance to to listen to his message, I would encourage you to go back and watch last week's service. If you uh, just want to listen to the message, there's the podcast and all those kind of things available. But today we're we're moving into Daniel chapter two, and so for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to work chapter through through the first uh, about five chapters of the book of Daniel. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that I despise the most. Probably one of my biggest pet peeves is grocery shopping. Anybody else that way? Like they hate going to the grocery. God help you if you have to go to Walmart on the weekend. I mean, you need church after going to Walmart on the weekend because you've lost every bit of religion that you've had going into that, right? Um, But I'll tell you this. It's not even the grocery shopping that bothers me. I, I can tolerate that. I tell you the thing that bugs me the most about grocery shopping is when you get home and you got to bring the groceries in. How many, like, that's the worst thing about grocery shopping for you is bringing the groceries in? Well, a few of you. So, so you, will know, you know what I'm talking about here. And because of that, there's only one correct way to bring in groceries. And if you do it any other way than this, you're wrong. It's okay. You can be wrong. We've talked about this before. It's okay to be wrong sometimes. It, but, but because you want to make as few trips as possible, what do you do? You go to the, the trunk of your car and you grab every single bag that you can grab. And you've got them like all lined up your shoulder. And if you could find a way to, to fit them around your legs and carry them in that way and they'd stay up, like you would do that, right? And so like you don't have, you've got your fingers, they're all like curled up because you're trying not to drop any of the bags. And so you get to the door. And you don't have any fingers available to reach out and open the door, do you? Because no matter how many times we do this, and we do it every time, we never think that far ahead, right? And so, so we go all the way to the door, and now we're trying not to set a bag down because we know if you sit one down, you're going to have to set them all down, and you're going to have to pick them all back up. And so you, you manage to get like just two fingers. You're able to turn the doorknob just enough. You kick it open with your foot. 
prop it up and rest away with, with, with your backside, and then you get in, right? That's, that's how everybody brings in groceries. And again, if you don't do it that way, you're wrong. It will come to my house someday, I'll show you how to do it. But what inevitably happens, it may not happen every time, but eventually it will happen if it hasn't happened to you yet. You get all the way in to the kitchen or wherever it is you unload your groceries, probably somewhere with a hard floor. And what happens? You start, you, and you can feel it happening. The bag, the bottom of the bag, the, probably the one with the spaghetti jar in it, right? Falls. The bottom falls out of that bag and the jar comes crashing down and breaks in all over the floor. Sometimes the bag just fall, the bottom just falls out, doesn't it? Sometimes that's how life feels, isn't it? That the, that the bottom of your life has just fallen out. I think that's kind of what Tim was talking about um, in, in communion meditation, but also in the song, is that sometimes life just feels like everything that could go wrong is wrong. You, you're so overwhelmed. You've got bags. You've got your, your hands are full. You've got everything up your arms. You, you don't have any more room to carry anything else. And eventually, the bottom just falls out. That's kind of how Daniel probably felt. Not everything was rosy in Daniel's life. The first chapter of, of his biography makes that pretty clear. Even though Daniel was born into nobility, he was born into Israel's nobility, there was a cruel and idolatrous dictator named Nebuchadnezzar who had come in and he had overrun Daniel's homeland. He had taken him captive and a number of other of the Israelites captive. And even with all of the bad things that had happened in, in that part of his life, things seemed to somehow be on the upswing for Daniel. Because of Daniel's background and his gifting, the king uh, favored Daniel. Daniel won an appointment to train for the king's service. And at the end of that training, as Bobby talked about this last week, he was judged to be superior by all of his peers. He was, he was even seen to be ten times wiser than the wisest men of Babylon. Now, we don't know the exact position that, that Daniel was given in the king's service, but the term that's used to describe Daniel's service is the same term that was used to describe uh, Joseph and, and his position when he was made governor of Egypt for the Pharaoh. And with God's help and with, with Daniel's uncompromising uh, faithfulness, this young Jewish captive had risen above all of his circumstances. And everything seemed to be going well. Everything was looking up. Everything was, was better than it had been. And then the bottom fell out. The bottom of the bag fell out. The king had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and the dream troubled the king. In fact, it scared him quite a bit, and so he called in all of his wise men to interpret this dream for him. And the wise men tell King Nebuchadnezzar, well, you, you tell us the dream, and we'll explain it to you. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar, being fairly wise, says, no, 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 not a chance. You, you tell me the dream, and if you're able to tell me the dream, then I'll know you really have the, the wisdom, the insight that you claim that you have. And so, of course, none of, none of these wise men of Babylon could... could could do this and so as a result of that because none of the king's wise men could tell the the interpretation of this dream they couldn't even tell tell the king what the dream was let alone the interpretation because of that the king was furious he was furious and so he sent out a decree that all of the wise men be put to death all of them we're gonna we're gonna put all of them to death and we think okay well what's the big deal about that Daniel was considered one of the wise men Daniel was one of the wise men, and so, so the commander of the king's army, with a sword in one hand and, and execution papers in the other, goes to look for Daniel. And so, any reasonable assessment of life in that moment, right, we would say, 
the bottom has just kind of fallen out for Daniel. Things are, things are on the upswing, and now, even through no fault of his own, the bottom's fallen out. And Daniel's response to this collapse of his circumstances, in, in that response, we learn what faithfulness can really look like when the bottom falls out, when, when life seems to just cut you off at the knees, when, when, when that jar of spaghetti sauce has fallen and made a mess all over your hardwood floors. We find out what faithfulness looks like and what we should do when the bottom falls out. Because here's the reality is we can, there are a lot of different responses, and we've probably made many of those responses. We can cry. We can get angry. We can, we can yell. We can, we can simply collapse. We can do any of those things. But I want us to look at what Daniel did. Because Daniel's response is, is not the normal response. And in Daniel's response, we see how faithfulness to God makes a difference when the bottom seems to fall out of life. His, his first spiritual response is found in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. It says, Then Daniel returned to the house, and he explained to the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Or as Bobby mentioned last week, if you're VeggieTales, Rack, Shack, and Benny. He says, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. These messages, the message of these verses is very simple. When the bottom falls out, we should drop to our knees. When, when the bottom falls out, we should drop to our knees because Daniel responded to this crisis, and it was a crisis. He responds to this crisis with prayer. He, he seemingly somehow secured some extra time from the king. But, but the extra time was not to cook up an escape plan. Daniel immediately gathers those that he loves, those his friends. He gathers them all together and, and they pray. That, that's what they do. They, they pray. Now, now perhaps it doesn't strike you as significant that, that Daniel, his first response would be to, to prayer. Uh, to pray because you know we tend to think of Daniel as one of these faith giants of the Old Testament, right? He he's that's what he's supposed to do, right? He's the prophet. He's supposed to do that. That's that's what he would do. But if anybody had a reason to to skip prayer and pursue any other number of responses first, it would have been Daniel. I mean, Daniel had other options that seemed more practical and, and probably more productive than prayer. I mean, first, he was ten times wiser than the wisest men in Babylon. He could have used his brain power here to, to escape, to, to find a way out, to, to, to figure out a solution to, to this predicament. I mean, smart men and women, they apply their minds to the problem when a crisis comes. And Daniel had no shortage of mental ability. In addition to his intelligence, Daniel had some power. After all, he was already in the king's service at this point. He's, he's already got some sort of governing authority. Again, we don't know how much, but he's, he's looked at as someone with authority. Surely Daniel had the savvy to, to learn how to manage the politics and work the angles and, 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 and kind of soothe the, the king's court a little bit. He, he knew what to do. He knew how to, how to play the game, how to play for time, to, to curry some favor. Perhaps other people maybe expected him to finagle something with, with his experience and with his resources to call in some favors, maybe to pull a few strings, but, but Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel had the same options that we do in, in moments of crisis. He could have resorted to his intelligence, he could have resorted to his power, to his resources, but instead he turned to God. He chose prayer first. How many times do, do we do that? We, we have a crisis come up and, and we think, here's what I'm going to do. And then we, we come up with our plan 
And then we ask God to okay our plan, to go along with our plan. That, that's, that, I'm going to tell you, that, honestly, if I'm, if I'm very honest with you, that, that seems to be a, a pattern in my life. When something comes up, all right, I've got to come up with a plan, and this is the plan. All right, we're going to do this, this, and this. And, oh, yeah, God, hey, would you bless that? God, would, would that be all right with you if we did this? That, that we, God, can you just, okay, can you pre-approve the plan that I want to do? Instead of going to God first and, and seeking out His will and, and seeking out what, what God needs us to do, what God wants us to do, instead of Him being my first response, oftentimes our, our, our response is to come up with a plan and then ask God to bless that plan. But Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel doesn't come up with a plan first. The first thing Daniel does is he prays. And, and here's why I think that's significant, because prayer is the confession of our need for God. Prayer is, prayer is the confession of our need to God. Daniel urged his companions, his friends, to pray for God's mercy because they, they knew that they didn't have the power among themselves to undo this decree that the king had made. They didn't have the power to be able to avoid the consequences. If, they did, if God did not intervene, Daniel and his friends were going to die. And so Daniel's press for prayer was a confession that, that these young men required a greater power than their own. And here's the thing. That, a petition for God's intervention does not require us to suddenly become irresponsible about our duties and our actions and our plans. It doesn't. But, but, what, but prayer does acknowledge that apart from you, God, I, I can't do anything. Apart from you, God, my plans don't mean anything. Apart from you, God, I can't fix this. I can't heal this wound. I can't correct that wrong. I can't clean up the mess. I can't put my life back together without you, God. So use me if you will, but, but, but you must act. Or, or my power, my brains, my, my, my confessions, my connections, they will count for nothing. God, you are the only one really able to do this. And so, God, I'm going to depend on you. And when our hearts are committed to that kind of truth, when our hearts are committed to that kind of truth, our actions change. We, we recognize that before we pick up the phone, before we, we call the meeting, before we create the priority list or, or form a crisis management team or any of those things that, that we would probably do in, in those kind of situations, we must fall on our knees and ask God for His help. He's the only real crisis manager. So prayer is our confession of our need to God. But prayer is also and inevitably the confession of our weakness. But by reaching toward God, we confess our inability to change our world on our own or, or by our own strength or, or our own resources. By, by our very nature, by, the, by their very nature, our prayers acknowledge that we cannot do anything apart from God, that we cannot provide what we most need. But by praying, we also confirm our, and, and affirm our conviction that God can help, that God can do all of these things that we can't do. And so with prayer, we acknowledge our dependence upon God's grace and our trust in His heart. We have to push ourselves out of the way so that God can be revealed. We, we might forget really how helpless we are apart from God. You know, think about the culture that we live in. Our society tells us that our efforts are, are, are the thing that make all the difference. That, that we, we applaud people who, who pick themselves up by the bootstraps and, and seem to, to, to work things out on their own, right? We, we, we do all of those things. That, that's what our culture tells us. In, in the business world, in our educational experiences, in judicial cases, in our families, even in the church, our actions are, are understood as the, as the root cause of our success or our, our failures. That, that's, we, we look at, look at life that way. You're, you're either successful because you're good at something or you're a failure because you're bad at something. That, that's how we look at life. 
And so when the bottom falls out of our lives, our reflex reactions are focused on our, on our, on our self-supply solutions. We are so accustomed to depending on our own resources that we neglect seeking God's supply when we need it the most. Jack Miller, one of the most thoughtful pastors of the last century, once included a simple request in a, in a letter that he wrote to his friend. He, he, he asked this. He, Jack wrote to his friend, Please pray for my habitual tendency to trust in myself and what I can do. And I think that's a great prayer. God, God, <clears throat> I, I have this habitual tendency to trust in myself. To, and, and in my own power and, and in my own resources and what I can do. So God, just remind me that apart from you, I am nothing. That apart from you, I can do nothing. This request reveals the near constant struggle that, that we all have to include God in our lives. In, in the press to handle everyday problems as well as major crises. We become so busy, we become so accustomed, so self-absorbed, so, so problem-focused to figuring our, our own way out of the difficulties that so many times we forget to even pray and ask God what He would have us to do. Our prayerlessness, our prayerlessness can be a poignant reminder, uh, an internal barometer of the soul of how much we really think that God makes a difference in our lives. Daniel indicated how important he believed it was, how, how important he believed God was because he sought Him first. He, he made making a prayer with him, a, a top priority. When, when the king's command created a crisis, Daniel didn't turn to a crisis management team. He didn't turn to anything else. He turned to prayer. You know, crises are often the, the means that God uses to get our prayer lives back on track. How many times have, have we thought, in, in just thinking about your own prayer life, you think, you know, I, when, are, when are the times that I pray the most? When we need something, right? When, when, when something bad has happened, that's when, when seemingly everybody, and, and, I, and I, I don't mean this the way that it's going to sound, so, so read my heart a little bit in this, but you all all know people who, who wouldn't dare darken the door of a church, right? They wouldn't dare darken the door of a church, but something tragic happens in their, in their family or in their life, and what's the first thing they say? Please pray for me. Right? They've not ever thought about prayer ever before. And maybe, and honestly, if we're real honest with ourselves, that might be the case for, for many of us, that we really don't give prayer that much thought. But when something bad happens, when, when there's a tragedy, when there's a crisis, we all of a sudden we think, oh, we need to start praying again, right? We need, we need people to pray for us. Crisis is oftentimes the means that God uses to get our prayer lives back on track. The, the second chapter of this young prophet's life, it, it it describes Daniel's spiritual activity. It, it describes a, a, an activity that should accompany prayer during a crisis. Um, and, and so this is the second thing that David did, and, and, or Daniel did, excuse me. And, and it's, it's easy to overlook this. Um, but Daniel's second response to a crisis is recorded in, in these next few verses. Listen to this. It says, During the night, so Daniel's been praying, and during the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So God has opened God, Daniel's eyes to, to know what this dream was. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and to the knowledge, to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with, the, with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You made known to us the dream 
of the king. Did you catch what happens there? What's Daniel doing there? God has answered this prayer, and so, so Daniel prays. God answers the prayer, and what's Daniel do? He praises God for that, right? In the midst of this crisis, Daniel offers personal praise to God. Daniel opposes pressure with praise. Now, we might think, oh, sure. It's easy for Daniel to praise God in this. God gave him the dream. God told him what the dream. He, he answered the prayer. He got a yes. Basically, God said, here, Daniel, here's what you need to know. So it's easy to praise God when, when God works things out for the way we want them to, right? I mean, we would all say that, right? When God, it's, it's a lot easier for me to praise God when God gives me the answer that I desire for my prayer. But, but think about this before we dismiss Daniel's, Daniel's experience as irrelevant to our own. Because I think we should look a little more carefully at, at the answer that God gave the prophet and how it affected his situation. Because sure, he got the dream's interpretation. But, so, but now suddenly Daniel finds himself facing a, a, a second equally threatening crisis. Because he knows what the dream means. And he's got to tell the king. Nebuchadnezzar had, had dreamed, and, and it's, 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 the rest of his dream is in chapter 2, and you can, you can read it a little bit later, but Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed of an enormous statue that, that was just incredible in scope, and its head was made of gold, and the chest were, were made of arms and of silver, and the belly and the thighs were made of bronze, and, and the legs were iron, and the feet were iron and clay. And in the middle of that dream, this statue that's standing before him, a rock is cut out with human hands, and, and it grew large, and without any prompting, the, the rock struck the statue and it just pulverized it. It, it. it tears down this incredible looking statue. And so now Daniel, he's, he's related this dream to the king. And the rub here is that Daniel had to also tell the king what the dream meant. The interpretation that Daniel has to give to this bloodthirsty king is recorded for us in chapter 2. And, and we're, you can, like I said, you can read it for yourselves, but, but here's the summary of it. Is that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom... Is going to end. It's going to be divided. His kingdom, this, this golden rule of Babylon, is, is going to be succeeded by the rule of the Medo-Persian Empire, which would be a, a, a silver era, not quite as illustrious as the Babylonian, but, but, but close. That empire is going to be conquered by the Greeks, an empire of great strength, but it wouldn't shine nearly as bright. That, that empire is going to be succeeded by the Roman Empire, an empire of iron and clay, stronger yet made of, of all sorts of ethnicities that, that just couldn't hold it together. And in later chapters of, of, this, of his book, Daniel's going to be even more specific about the succession of the kingdoms. But the immediate message for Nebuchadnezzar is, is, is embarrassingly clear. Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is going to fail. Your kingdom's not going to last forever. In fact, in, in just a few short years, there's going to be another group that's going to come over, come in, and they're going to take over, and they're going to wipe you out just like you tried to wipe out my homeland. That's the message that Daniel has to tell this king. How do you think that's going to go over? Not real well, right? No, no, no. We, this message that Daniel is facing, given to the king, now all of a sudden it puts himself in jeopardy. At least, at least before anybody knew the dream, there's a bunch of people that are, that, that are going to be executed, right? They're gonna, the, the king's going to kill all the wise men, but now, now you've interpreted the dream. You're standing there by yourself, all alone in front of the king. Daniel's got another crisis on his hands. Far from absolving Daniel's problems, God revela God's revelation of the king it puts the prophet in greater crisis. And so it wasn't really all that easy for Daniel just to, to praise God in light of what he had to say to Nebuchadnezzar, right? I mean, 
you get this interpretation and you think, okay, God's answered my, dream, answered my prayer, but now, now I've got another problem. The, the, the bottom just keeps falling out, right? I've, I've I fixed that bag and I've got, I've got all the groceries back in another bag and, and I've put them in this bag and now that bottom has fallen out. But I want to tell you there are a couple of reasons that Daniel could still praise God. And the, and the first one is this, is that Daniel does not know how everything's going to work out in the future. But there's already evidence of God's care in the present. Daniel can praise God for that. Even though he doesn't have a clue how things are going to work out in the future, the king might execute him. There's already evidence of God's care in the present. So so Daniel can praise God for that. Because because the interpretation of the dream, had he not gotten that, he would have already been dead, right? He would have already been dead had God not answered this prayer. So he's seen in in the recent history... That God has cared for him. And so he could praise God for that. He could see that despite the grace that was yet to be fully revealed. And I just want to tell you, I think there's something in that for us. That, that we don't know what tomorrow holds, right? None of us know what tomorrow holds. None of us know what 30 minutes from now is going to look like, do we? But, and and so, so oftentimes when, when there's crisis going on in our life, all we can think about is what's to come, what's to come, what's to come. Even though we really don't know what is going to happen. And so in those moments, it's hard for us to want to praise God. It's hard to feel like there's any good in it. It's hard to feel like God is good in those moments, even though we don't know what the future looks like. And I'm telling you, just because you don't know what the future looks like doesn't mean that God isn't good. Because you can look back. You can look at at your present and see all of the things that God has done for you. And if God has been good to you in in the past and in the present, you can rest confidently that God will be good to you in the future. The second reason Daniel could praise God was that this young prophet could remember God's goodness in the past. He could look back over over all of the Old Testament and see that God had been faithful to his people. And so he didn't have any reason to doubt that God would be faithful to him and his people in the future. And and that's a a pattern that we see in in Scripture. When Joshua assumed leadership over Israel before before the challenge of entering the Promised Land, he reminded the people of God's faithfulness under Moses. When Peter addressed his countrymen before the challenges of beginning the New Testament church in Acts, he reminded them of God's faithfulness and God's promises. When the church faced persecution, the writer of Hebrews reminded the dispersed people across the world that God had been faithful even amidst suffering generations that had preceded them. The past can provide ample reason for praising God. And I'm just telling you that when, when we face individual crisis and when we face crisis corporately as a church, we can look back at the past and we can say, God has been faithful. God has always been faithful. He has never failed me yet. And because He has never failed me yet, I should have full confidence that He won't fail me in the future. It may not work out like you want it to work out. Let's be honest about that. Just because we have a way that we want things to work out doesn't mean that it's going to work out that way. But it does not mean that God is any less faithful to us. The third reason that Daniel could praise God is stemmed from the prophet's understanding of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. This dream, it unveiled a future good in which God also deserved praise. The, the rock that endures forever ever after breaking in, in pieces of the statue, it, it represents successive world kingdoms. But, but the rock that, that's cut out, it, it could be none other than our rock, Jesus. And through Nebuchadnezzar's dream, God showed Daniel the ultimate triumph of, G, of Jesus through, through the world. Not just through that, through that part of the world, but through the entire world. To, to be candid, this revelation, it didn't get rid of the present crisis. Daniel and his people were still in slavery. 
God's temple was still in ruins. God's prophet was still in jeopardy. Still, God displayed his long-range plans to Daniel. Daniel didn't know how it would all work out, did he? He didn't know what would happen in his immediate situation. But God assured him that all things were working toward, toward a grand triumph. And so despite his present danger, there was good in the past and there was good in the present and there was good in the future which Daniel was counting on. And so Daniel could praise God. And again, I think there's something in there for us in that. Is that we don't know how things are going to work out in the future. We, we, we don't. But, but we know that one day a better future is coming, right? We understand that, that one day... Jesus is coming back for His church, right? We don't know how... Look, we have no idea how long COVID's going to last, do we? We have no idea how long different diseases, different illnesses, uh, how, how long cancer... We don't know how long any of these things are going to last. We have no idea what, what world leaders are going to assume power and what that's going to mean for the world politically and, and, and for the church and, and persecution-wise. We have no idea what anything looks like in the future except this, that one day... Jesus is coming for His church. And that's the only hope that we need to hold on to. Whether, whether we live long enough to see it in person or we're, or we're dead and long enjoying heaven before that, what we need to hold on to is that one day our future will be much brighter. It will be much better because one day there is hope for eternal life in heaven with Jesus. And that makes whatever we're going through right now okay. Daniel, because Daniel understands the nature of God, he offers God prayer and, and he offers God prayer and praise in a difficult time. And still Daniel, Daniel's regard for God has, has yet to reach its broadest expression. When, when the bottom seems to fall out, Daniel's circumstances remain tough, and, and he still proclaims the greatness of God. Daniel's, Daniel's response to peril was proclamation. He resisted any temptation to take credit for himself uh, for this amazing insight that God had, had given him. And, and he gives it to God when, when the king asked Daniel if he could reveal the dream. The prophet, who, who by now knew the dream and its interpretation, made sure that the king knew that God was the one who had provided this interpretation. The prophet was careful to, to, to make sure that God was the one who received all of the glory. Daniel knew the trust of God's enabling and keeping. And these truths erased all reference to himself and his speech that he makes before the king. The prophet Daniel, he's so conscious to, uh, of the work of God, uh, of his God, and his explanation to, to the king, he, he excludes proclamation of himself and he gives all the proclamation to God. He, he makes sure that God is known as the source of this, of this revelation. Even when Daniel wasn't sure of what this cruel dictator what Nebuchadnezzar's response was going to be, God could not be kept from Daniel's lips. And because God could not be kept from Daniel's lips, God could not be kept from Nebuchadnezzar's mind as a result. When Daniel finishes interpreting the dream, Nebuchadnezzar, he not only pays homage to Daniel because he doesn't fully understand God yet, but he also honors Daniel's God. He says this in verse 47. He says, Truly your God is the God of God's, and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Because of Daniel's proclamation, the king knew that, that this was, this, this was an, a, an ability that God had given Daniel. That Daniel's God is, is proclaimed as the God. Imagine this, in, in a culture where there are many, many gods. They, they have a God for everything, Right? And none of the wise men's gods could give this interpretation. None of the wise men's gods could come up with, with, with what the dream meant. 
And so the king recognizes that Daniel's God is far superior than all other gods that might be known in that culture. The implications for, for this are far-reaching. But, there, but there's even more implications for, for Daniel's proclamation. Because this proclamation that accompanies Daniel's revelation made the power in the presence of the Lord so real that the king would not touch the prophet. Remember what Daniel's greatest fear is in this. Is that he's going to have his head lopped off. That, that's the greatest fear. I, I, if, if, I, if I don't interpret the dream, I'm going to get the axe. If I do interpret the dream... Because of what the dream means, I still might get the axe, right? That's Daniel's greatest fear. But because God is made known so powerfully to the king through Daniel, the king doesn't touch Daniel. In fact, the king praises Daniel. The king praises Daniel. And I just want, I just want to tell you this. That there is never a better to proclaim, time to proclaim God than when the risk seems great. No risk, no reward, right? That's kind of the motto that, that we live by in our country. No, no risk, no reward. I'm telling you, there is never a greater time to proclaim the name of God, the name of Jesus, the message of the gospel, than when the risk seems high. If you're worried that somebody's not going to like you anymore, if you're worried about what repercussions might come because you, know, you might get kicked out of this club or, or out of this social circle or, or whatever your worry might be, I'm telling you, no risk, no reward. I'm telling you, if you want to make a difference for the kingdom of Jesus, if you want to make a difference in the, in the lives of your friends, share the gospel even when the risk seems high, especially when the risk seems high. We can bear almost anything. If we only see God at work in our circumstances. And I'm telling you that when the risk is great, the reward is even greater. So share the name of Jesus with, with those. Finally, as, as we wrap up to this morning, I want us to see these three things. Prayer, praise, and proclamation. They are all spiritual responses to the, to the, shift, to, to the crisis that shift attention from our ability to God's ability. These responses, they humble us by making us realize that we are not in control, that ultimately that we are dependent upon God's influence rather than our own initiative. When we acknowledge our need is greater than we are, God's supply is more sufficient than we could ever imagine. There's always an element in us that wants to take charge, that wants to come up with our own plan. And I'm just telling you, when the bottom of life falls out, and we recognize the, the fertility of that attitude. That God is the only one who, who must be given charge of our lives and our difficulties. Not only is He the one who, who can handle our circumstances, but in doing so, He will lead us closer to Him. You know, extreme situations often reflect God's extreme desire for us to love Him and know Him more fully. He teaches us to lean on Him when we can rest and, and rest on Him because, because He's the one who loves us, Right? We know no greater peace, nor can we claim any greater contentment. Dependence upon God produces a joy so full that crisis cannot exhaust its supply. So when the bottom of life falls out, and maybe you're in a situation right now where you feel like the bottom of life has fallen out. Maybe you've been in one. Maybe you can kind of look on the horizon and think, you know what? There's potential here for, for, for life just to not go the way I want it to go. When the bottom seems to fall out of life, take a lesson from Daniel and pray. Before anything else, pray and praise. Even if God doesn't give you the answer that you want, praise and proclaim. Because there is no other name that is good except the name of Jesus, right? There's no, no other name given by which man must be saved. So proclaim the name 
of Jesus. Hey, let me pray for us. Father God, we love you, and we are grateful for, for how you work in situations. Father, we, we call upon the promise that, that Paul tells the Roman church in Romans chapter 8, that you work all things to the good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, Father, as we strive to live for you, would you give us the boldness to, and the courage to, to pray and to praise and to proclaim because we know that you are working all things to our ultimate good. It may not work out the way that we want it to on this, in this life. But we know ultimately one day you're coming back for your church. And because you're coming back, because you are not abandoning us, because you have never abandoned us, we can give you praise right now. And we can give you praise in the future when life doesn't go the way that we want it to. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to die for our sins so that when the bottom of life falls out and sin is greater than we could ever know, we don't have to be separated from you. that we can be a part of your kingdom. Father, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.